Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. I'm glad that you're here with us uh, or joining us online. Happy Father's Day to all of you, uh, whether you are a dad, had a dad, know a dad, whatever. It's Father's Day, and I hope you have a happy one, whoever you are. I would like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Thank you. Pray with me, will you? Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord, and may I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins, and he heals all of my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things, and my youth is renewed by, like the eagles. Lord, I thank you for your tender mercies. And Lord, we do bless you this morning. Lord, we thank you for the, the men that we are celebrating today, for the fathers among us and the fathers connected to us, Lord, that have shown us that you are a good, good father. But Lord, if our fathers haven't necessarily shown us you, I thank you for you as a good father. In spite of what, what we might have found, the situation we might have found ourselves in, the relationship with our own fathers, Lord, you have never ever failed to be a good, good father to us. I thank you. I praise you for that, Lord. I thank you for each person gathered here. I just, I, I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to each person, touch their hearts, speak to their minds, Lord, of your goodness, of your graciousness, of your mercies, of your loving kindness for each and every one, Father. And then be with us throughout the remainder of this service. As we hear a word from you, Lord, as we come to your table and take communion, as we go and fellowship from here out into the rest of our week, Lord, may you go with us. May you be strong in us, Lord. And we thank you. We praise you. We bless your name, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. All right, now wave hello. We're still just waving. Wave hello as you have a seat. And in the meantime, Pastor Rich is going to come up and give us some announcements. Thank you very much, Pastor Judy. And thank you, Doug and Mary, for leading us this morning. We really appreciate you uh, offering your musical gifts to us again today. Um, they, uh, uh, mid middle of this week, when we found out that the folks who were going to be leading us couldn't do it, I was like, hey, guys, what do you think? And they're like, sure, no problem, you know. So thank you very much. Uh, uh, if you're, uh, whether you're with us in the room or watching online, you can go to livinghope.info slash connect and fill out that little digital connect card. Let us know you're with us today. If you're in the room, you can just grab one of those little green cards back by the offering box and fill that out and jot whatever note you want to, ask a question, give some feedback, let us know how to pray for you and uh, drop it in the offering box. And you can give that way too. You can just drop that in that box or uh, you can go to livinghope.info slash give and you can give online. That works as well. Um, I did want to take just a moment to introduce you guys to somebody that I don't think you've had a chance to meet yet. You might have seen their picture if you uh, caught it on Facebook or in the email I sent out on Friday. But uh, we finally, after a long wait, and it's worth the wait, I think, uh, have uh, got a new youth director, uh, Jason Thomas, and his wife Jessica. They're with us today. Can you guys uh, say hi to Jason and Jessica? And can I, can I get you guys to walk up here real quick so the folks watching online can see you too? Can you come up this way? 
Come on, come on up this way, and just uh, just to say a quick hi. Can we? Uh, where where are you? Can keep coming this way just a little bit more. There. Oh, look, there they are, Jason and Jessica, both of them. Yes. Yeah, so thank you very much for coming to be with us. So here they are. If you, uh, <laughs> thanks guys. If uh, I, I didn't ask them like to say anything today, I didn't prep them or anything. But you probably don't need preparation, do you? I, I could probably put you on the spot. But Okay, all right. What, can, you, can you give us like the, the real quick introduction to who you guys are, your, you, your family, whatever? Sure. Um, well, I'm Jason. This is Jessica. Um, <laughs> sorry. sorry. Um, we uh, were youth ministers at Fair Meadow Community Church of the Nazarene for 10 years. Um, we are super happy and excited to be back in youth ministry. And uh, it was just a Google search, and this came up, and... Um, <laughs> Pastor Rich and I hit it off, and we are super, super excited. We met the kids. They are super talented and engaged, and they're going to lead the way, and we're going we're gonna to have a wonderful time. We're going to learn about God, and I will be super excited and on fire every chance I get to be with them. I just can't wait. So, can I say anything? Ditto. Oh, wait, that's it. She doesn't like to be put on the spot. Sorry. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Um, yeah, we're excited to have you guys with us and to see what, uh, what this thing turns into. They were really clear that uh, they like to uh, build on what the, what the teens want to do. I mean, the, to let them be co-creators of this thing. So I'm excited to see what that looks like going forward as, the, as you guys engage and as the teens plug in. And, and um, yeah, it should be good. So... All right, if you're in the room, you've got some little notes there. If you're, if you're not, there will be some, uh, some stuff on the screen. And as you open that thing up, you see at the top it says dysfunctional dads. And uh, I just want to acknowledge right up front that that was the reality for many of you, right? I mean, your, your parents were not uh, uh, ideal parents. And, and days like this can be difficult for some folks. Uh, Pastor Judy acknowledged it in the prayer that, um, that for some folks, Father's Day is just hard. You know, for all the same reasons that Mother's Day can be hard, you know. Some of you have, uh, have desired to be dads and never had the chance to be. Uh, some of you, your dads are gone, uh, and, and so today brings grief. Uh, it's your first Father's Day without them. Um, for, uh, um, there's all kinds of situations that arise where when you think of your dad, you don't think of the good, good father that we were just singing about, that God is for us, and the good dad that you would uh, kind of wish that you'd had. And... Um, and so I guess today, in part, I want to kind of acknowledge that and, and to recognize that that's not a new thing, or if that's been the case for you, that you're, you know, not out of the ordinary by any means. Um, I did just put a quick side note there at the top uh, of your notes uh, from Psalm 68. Uh, it says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, I didn't know she was going to read that, that's perfect, um, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Do we have those words that we can pop up on the screen back there somewhere? I think, yeah, there we go. So uh, this is who God is for us. If, if your father was less than perfect or if your father is absent uh, or was absent, God is a father to the fatherless. God is a good, good father like we just sang about and sets the lonely in families. That's one of the beautiful things about the church is that he adopts us into his own family. He gives us brothers and sisters in Christ uh, the Apostle Paul in one place even talks about being like a father to the people he led to Jesus. Um, he says, like, you've you got plenty of guardians, but you don't have many fathers. I've been a father to you. And he's kind of referring back to all that fathers do for their kids uh, in raising them and training them up. And, um, 
Anyway, I just wanted to make sure we kind of got out of the way right at the beginning. If this is painful for you, if today brings grief, um, you are not alone and that God is, is with you. Um, and then uh, I want us to take a little time looking at some of the, the dads in the Bible. I mean, ideally, right, we think, okay, I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good mom. I want to be a good human being. I'm going to look to Scripture, right? And there in the Bible, I'm going to find lots of good examples, people who I can, uh, I can follow their example. I can learn from them, people who have been doing this faith thing for a while. And if I look at their life, then I'll see some examples of things I ought to do, right? And that's by and large true, but at the same time, I mean, if you just start at the very beginning and start making your way through, especially if you're looking for dad examples, um, you're going to find plenty of bad examples as well. You're going to find everybody in the Bible is a, is a mixed bag. There's good about them and there's bad about them, just like all of us, all right? The Bible is not a, uh, a book full of stories of saints and perfect people. It is, it is a book full of real human beings as God grabs a hold of their life and is, and is working with them to do amazing things in their life and through their life to bless others. But, I mean, right at the very beginning of the book, if you look at Adam, his story starts right there in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. He's right at the tail end of chapter 1 and, and then the beginning of chapter 2, uh, we see Adam's story. And, and there's not a lot in there about Adam as a dad, um, but, you know, as a person, what do, we, what do we think of when we think of Adam? Okay, first human being, you know, named the animals, really excited to meet his wife, and then plunged the world into darkness and sin. You know, great example for all of us. Uh, we do know about his kids. We get to Genesis 3 or 4. I can't remember now where we start to read about uh, their sons, Cain and Abel, you know. And uh, as Stacy and I were looking for Bible names for our twin boys, you know, when we adopted them five years ago, we thought, okay, well, you know, Cain and Abel, those were brothers. That's the first brothers. Oh, no, you read their stories. Like, you know, not using those names because Cain kills his brother Abel. And, uh, and I have to think Adam, as a dad, was uh, probably thinking, well, mess that one up, you know. Like, um, but uh, so he's not a great example for us of a father. Um, you go on down, you get to Noah in Genesis chapter 6, right? And great example, right? I mean, trusted God, built an ark, uh, kept his family safe through the flood, you know, so his, his kids didn't, didn't die in the flood. Okay, good. Um, wonderful, wonderful dad, protected his family, kept them safe. And then you get to the part of the story where the ark man finally landed, the floodwaters recede, and the ark lands, and eventually it dries out. They come out of the ark, and, and Noah sacrifices the God, gives him thanks for, uh, for protecting them. And then the very next thing he does, any of you guys know what, what Noah did? He plants a vineyard, and he makes himself a drink. And he gets drunk and passes out in his tent drunk or something. And then there's some kind of a shameful moment there where one of his boys walks in on him or something. And we're not sure exactly what happened. But what we do know is that Noah comes to, finds out about it, and curses his, like pronounces curses on his son and grandson. Uh, so, again, mixed bag, right? But at least by the time we get to like the, the patriarchs, the real fathers of the faith, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We're going to see some good examples there, right? Uh, uh, if you know Abraham's story, you know, it starts out really strong, right? I mean, God calls him to, to leave uh, his homeland and his people and to go to this land that I will show you. And he does it. He just gets up, packs up his whole family and moves. Now, his whole family at the time was himself and his wife. They've got their nephew Lot and his family, and, and they've got some stuff, some flocks, some herds, whatever. And so they're, they're making their way over to what ends up being the land of Canaan. And, um, and God is making promises to Abraham. He's saying, look, you're going to be the father of a great nation. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Whoever blesses you will be blessed. And, uh, you know, you're going to look at, the, look at the sky. See all those stars? You're going to have descendants more than the, than the stars in the sky. Look at all the sand uh, on the beach. You're going to have more descendants than the, than the sand on the seashore. And Abraham's thinking, okay, I'm like 
pushing 90 here, God. You know, I'm not really sure how that's going to work. And, and his wife, it sounds like, was about 10 years younger as you, as you read their story. And at some point, they decide, as they continue to advance in years, uh, his wife Sarah comes to him and says, uh, you know what? I'm not having any babies. And if, so if God's promising to give you babies, it's going to have to happen some other way than, than by me. Here's my servant, Hagar. Why don't you have a child with her? That was a thing that they did in that time and place. Isn't that strange? Da- nowadays, we just watch it on like dystopian uh, you know, handmade Tale TV shows and stuff. But that's what they did back then. They, she says, here's my servant. Have a child with her. And then that way God can fulfill his promise. And so he does what his wife tells him to do, and he has a child with Hagar, names him Ishmael, and, uh, and it looks like maybe everything's going to be okay, except God says, oh, no, 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 you're, it's going to be a child between you and your wife, Sarah, that, that I'm going to, you know, bless you and, and keep all these promises through, and we see pretty soon that, uh, uh, basically as soon as Hagar has this baby, that there's tension then between Hagar and Sarah. Surprise, surprise. And, uh, and Sarah's upset, and she's like, I want to get rid of this slave woman. And Abraham's like, she's your slave woman. She's your servant, not mine, so do what you want to do. And, and sure enough, she sends Hagar away. Thankfully, God intervenes, and God steps in and sees Hagar and hears her cries and promises, hey, don't worry, I'm going to make your son a great nation as well. And uh, there's going to be tension, there's going to be problems, but I will be, you know, I'll be with you. Don't worry, I'm not abandoning you like they've just abandoned you. How many of you guys know what happens through, through the descendants of, who the descendants of Ishmael are? You guys know? They're called the Ishmaelites in the Bible, but today, like, the Arab nations trace their lineage back to, is that, am I getting that right? Because a couple of you raise your hands, right? And I know the, in the Quran, the Muslim scriptures, you know, they tell similar stories as what we see in the Old Testament, but in those stories, Ishmael is the chosen child. And, you know, their, their ancestor is the, is the chosen one. Uh, fortunately, there hasn't been any tension between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, you know, since then, of course. Uh, all kinds of tensions. You know, our decisions have consequences uh, that, that reverberate down for, for generations, for millennia in this case. Uh, Abraham is not, he's not a great dad to Ishmael. And then, Sure enough, though, uh, not too much later in the story, we see that there's this miraculous visit, and God uh, reasserts his promise, and both Abraham and Sarah kind of chuckle at this, like, yeah, okay, sure, you know, yeah, we're going to have kids now, and like, Abraham at this point is like 100, and Sarah's 90, and, uh, and God says, yes, you will, this time, this season next year, I'm going to come back, and, and Sarah will have a, you know, bouncing baby boy on her lap, and you're going to name him Isaac, which means laughter, because you've laughed at this. And sure enough, a year later, they do. They have Isaac. Here they are, the, the child of the promise, Isaac. And as miraculous as we all understand, that must have been for, you know, a couple of, uh, for a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old to have a, a little baby boy. That's the story. That's what we're given. And, um, and so, okay, great. Abraham's going to be the best dad in the world to Isaac, right? I'm sure there's not going to be any trauma at all in their relationship. You guys remember what happens with Abraham and Isaac? It says that God wanted to, uh, wanted to know what was in Abraham's heart and kind of whether he would fully trust him or not. And he comes to Abraham one day and says, I want you to take Isaac, your son, your, your, your only son, the son you love, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Which to us sounds horrific. And I'm guessing it might have sounded that way to Abraham. I don't know. We do know that some of the other cultures there in that part of the world occasionally would do child sacrifice. There were some of the gods that some of their neighbors worshipped that child sacrifice was a normal kind of a thing, as awful as that is. 
And so perhaps at this point, Abraham's thinking like, oh, man, I was hoping you weren't that kind of God. But, uh, okay, I'm going to trust you. And he takes Isaac and the wood and the knife, and they go to the mountain that God tells them to, and he has it all prepared and all laid out, and Isaac's there ready for him. Just normally they would, you know, put a lamb up there, and they would kill a lamb and sacrifice that lamb to God. And, and he's on the verge of sacrificing his son Isaac when an angel shows up and says, Abraham, Abraham, no, stop, stop, stop. Now, now I know. Don't, don't hurt your son. Now I know what's in your heart. Now I know that you will trust me with everything, even with your son, even with all the, you know, I know that you trust me. Don't, don't harm your son. Look, there's a ram in the thicket. Sacrifice that ram. And uh, I cannot imagine what that would have been like for Isaac. You know, I just, I can't. Um, glad you trusted God, Dad, you know. Um, still, I, I have to think that image would have been with him for a long time long, long time. Abraham was far from a perfect person, far from a perfect dad, and there's other stories multiple times where he passes his wife off as a sister to not get in trouble. Anyway, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on in Abraham's life that you read his story and you think, man, he was a mess and far from a perfect dad. Dysfunctional would be a good word to describe their family situation. Yet he is hailed as the father of all who have faith in God. You know, he's the, he's the one that we, that we all look back to, Jews and Christians alike, and I should mention, and Muslims look back to Abraham as the, the one who trusted God, who did what God called him to do. So his son Isaac grows up, of course, has, has uh, children, has uh, twin boys, uh, Jacob and Esau. And there's a little tussling with them, even as they're being born. It's like Jacob was holding on to Esau's heel, like he was trying to like stop him, pull him back. Like, no, I want to be first. You know, they were already wrestling before they even got out. And uh, and and Isaac, as a dad, we see like uh, he struggles. You know, uh, we've got twin boys, right? And so we've been we have tried from the outset to be like, okay, we got to make sure that we're not playing favorites, right? We don't want one of them to be like, you know mom's favorite and one of them be dad's favorite or you know anything like that we don't want uh, we named them david and jonathan all right ultimately we landed on some bible names uh not brothers but uh but close friends and we want them to be close friends right we've already seen some struggles just because like david comes up a whole lot more in the bible than jonathan does right and so like okay yes all right and uh, and david of the of our two boys was born uh, slightly earlier than jonathan and so there's potential even there. It's like, okay, I hope we're not, uh, we want to we be careful, right? That they know that they're loved equally, that they're equally loved by God, by us, all the rest. Isaac doesn't seem so careful with his boys. And it's really clear that Esau is his favorite. Now, the, the boys are different. Esau is like the outdoorsman, right? He's the one that plays all the sports and does all the hunting and does all the, he's, he's uh, ruddy complected, it says, which I think some of it's just, natural like that's his hair color and stuff but I think some of it's from being outside you know he's an he's an outdoorsman he's a man's man and his dad loves that about him Jacob more of a mama's boy you know and it and that's how he's described he like hangs out with mom and he stays in the tent and he you know learns how to cook and does some of the things that traditionally were associated with like what mom would do there and uh and of course there's all kinds of tension that develops between them to the point where, oh, man, as Isaac is old and his eyesight is faded, he's, he's basically blind, and, and, uh, and the boys both want their dad's blessing. I mean, this is, in this culture, this is much more than just like, yep, have a good life, son. You know, this is like, this blessing carries with it some weight. It carries with it some inheritance. It carries with it kind of the, the understanding of God's favor 
And normally that would go to the oldest boy, you know, gets the largest inheritance, all that. And there was already a little moment where Jacob, like, uh, convinces Esau to sell him his birthright uh, because Esau was hungry. And he's like, oh, I got a pot of stew right here. You can have it if you sell me your birthright. And Esau's like, I'm going to die. Give me the stew. Sure, you can have whatever you want. And, you know, so there's all kinds of problems between the two. But as Isaac is old and his eyesight is fading and the word goes out that he's, he's thinking, I better bless my boys now before I'm gone. Uh, while Esau, he, he tells Esau, go out and, and catch me my favorite game and, and make the meal for me. And while he's out hunting the game, um, I, uh, Jacob and his mom decide, oh, hey, quick, let's fix up that meal. Uh, Jacob, here, put this stuff on. And he, he like disguises himself to, to feel and smell like his brother to blind old dad. And, um, and he goes in and he sneaks in and pretends to be his brother. You know, his dad, blind, smells his favorite meal coming in, reaches out, grabs a hold of his son's arm, and feels all this hair because, like, they'd taken, like, some animal. He's almost been really hairy, all right, because uh, he, like, has some animal fur on him, and, and he's like, oh, my boy, here we go. Yes, and he pronounces his blessing, and here you go, and Jacob leaves, ha, 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 and Esau shows up not long after and said, here I am, dad, and, and Isaac is totally confused, and what do you mean? And the, and the jig is up at that point. Esau swears he's going to kill his brother, and Jacob has to take off and, uh, and goes on the run. Isaac, in the way he played favorites, was not the best dad. You know, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian all my life. I would like to look to the Bible and find some great examples to follow as a father. Okay? Um, I've got a good example in my own dad. I, I meant to say that earlier as I was acknowledging that we don't all have uh, perfect dads and perfect upbringings. I, I'm not able to say that about my own dad. My dad was practically perfect in every way. And uh, I don't say that only because he'll probably watch this later. All right, I, I say that because it's, it's true. He's a great, great dad to me and to my sister. I would love to be able to look at the Bible and just find example after example of awesome dads and how they were just amazing to their kids. And instead I find dads who play favorites, who, who struggle to make the family dynamic work. Uh, and that continues then with Jacob. Some, some of you have struggled, by the way, because of your own background, right? I mean, Isaac, Isaac was uh, in some ways an only child. I mean, there was Ishmael there, right? Uh, but Isaac, uh, after Ishmael was gone, was basically like an only child. And so I guess maybe he didn't understand how to do the whole, you know, like how to have two kids and not play favorites or whatever. But he definitely plays favorites, and that causes all kinds of problems. So you'd think Jacob now, as, as uh, I was going to say uh, devastated or, you know, just having learned from that negative experience growing up of dad having playing favorites, you'd think that Jacob, when he has his kids, would do so much better, right? Not quite. <laughs> uh, Jacob, if you read his story, um, he ends up with 12 boys, in part because he's got two wives and two concubines, and there's a whole story there. But uh, he's got 12 boys, and jo- Joseph is not the youngest, but he's, he's one of two kids of, of Jacob's favorite wife, which, again, is a problem. If you've got multiple wives, you're going to have favorites, and uh, that's only one reason we don't recommend that um, among many. But he follows the pattern. He plays favorites. Joseph is very clearly his favorite. He gets that, you know, coat of many colors and all the stuff that you've seen in the musical and as you've read in the Bible, and Joseph's brothers can't stand him in large part because of how Jacob has treated Joseph among his brothers. Um, 
Now, Jacob does some good things. You know, I mean, he, he gets some things right. He, he's, his story isn't just isolated to what he does with his boys. He, he wrestles with God. God changes his name to Israel. He gives the name to the whole nation. The nation of Israel is named after Jacob with his new name, Israel. I mean, he is a person of faith. He trusts God, but he is not a great example of being a dad. He loves his boys, but he doesn't get everything right. And so, in part, I want to I do that little walk through because... It reminds us that, like, okay, if, if I didn't have a perfect dad, if I haven't been a perfect dad, I, I'm not alone, right? Um, there's a long history. As long as human beings have been on the planet, you know, for the whole story that we've got in Scripture, dads have struggled. People have struggled. We have, we have struggled to, to live up to uh, what we could be as human beings and as parents to live up to what we could be as parents. And as we are recipients of that, we have a tendency then to pass those same, you know, the same problems on down to the next generation. Um, I, I can still remember um, as we were graduating from college and, and uh, Stacy and I were really good friends uh, with, uh, with a couple that uh, were in co- we were all in college together and we were in each other's weddings and all that kind of stuff after we graduated. And, and I can remember my friend Bill. Um, hi, Bill, if you're watching. Anyway, uh, I can remember him. Uh, you know, we're talking about our futures and getting married and having kids and all that kind of stuff. And I can remember him saying like, man, I'm nervous about being a dad because his own dad had not been that great. He'd been absent for most of his life. He had like taken off and left him and his mom and his mom had been left to raise him uh, with, without a dad. And he's like, the, the example I've got is, is bad. I don't want to continue this. I don't want to do something similar or damage my kids in the way that I was damaged by my dad. We were just over at their house. Uh, was that last week? Last weekend. Um, because their oldest daughter just graduated from high school, and their kids are fantastic, and Bill's been a fantastic husband and father to them, and um, God is able uh, to work with dysfunctional dads. That, that in my mind, is kind of the, the point of today's message, all right? For all of you dads, at least, God is able to work with dysfunctional dads. For all of us as people, God doesn't expect, God doesn't only work through perfect people. God works through real people. People, people, with all of our good and bad and ugly, all right? Um, and that's where we see even these imperfect examples that we get right there in the first book of the Bible. That's just the first book, all right? That doesn't even get us on into Exodus and all the rest. Uh, that's just from Genesis. The, the main characters of the story are imperfect people, but God still connects himself to them, binds himself to them, commits to them, and does amazing things through them. We see in the, in the New Testament, um, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's, a, it's kind of the faith chapter. It's where uh, the author of the Hebrews goes back through their story, the, the story of the Hebrews, and looks at some of their main characters and, and mentions many of the ones that we just mentioned. Uh, we'll start with Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He wasn't there yet, but he was looking forward to it. They just lived in tents. They didn't have this final uh, permanent dwelling. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise, meaning God. And so from this one man, and he is good as dead, that's a polite way of saying that he uh, 
was old and not like they have kids. So from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. It says all of these folks, even as messed up as they were, they lived by faith. They trusted God. And God, the good, good father, God was able to do good, good things through them. Even though they were a mess, even though they were imperfect, they trusted God. So as imperfect as I am, I, I want to trust God too. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust. I'm going to follow that, that part of their example. Even if I don't follow some of the rest of their example, I'm going to follow their example of faith in God, of trusting God, that when I don't see everything working out just the way I'm hoping it would or just the way God has promised it would, I'm going to trust that God is leading in the right direction, in a good direction. I'm going to keep following him. That's what, in, in the middle of all that, I kind of skipped it out because it was, it was kind of a, a break in the middle of the story in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, and this this phrase captured my attention, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Sometimes, when we find ourselves made aware of our failings, uh, when, we, when we look at how our kids have turned out and we think, oh, man. We look back at the things that we did and like, I could have done so much better. You know, um, I know some of you joke that like your first kid was your practice kid, you know, and you do better with the, with the rest of them. We don't have that chance. They're twins. They're, they're both just getting what they get. Um, but, you know, you, sometimes when we look back at our failings, whether it's as parents or just as human beings, you know, we, we look at the ways that we have messed things up and we can, we can regret. And sometimes we live with some shame about that. I've heard a number of folks over the years that have, that have expressed to me they feel like maybe God couldn't forgive them or maybe God couldn't really, do, like they couldn't be as useful to God. You know, I'm, I know God has plans for, for people like you, Pastor Rich, you know, with like your practically perfect dad and, you know, all this stuff. But I don't think God really has great plans for me because that's not been my experience. And, and my own life is filled with this and that and all these detours and all the stuff that I'm ashamed of today And then I come across verses like this. We're speaking of these imperfect people who trusted him, who trusted God to guide them well, to to, to lead them through even their mistakes. It says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. If you feel shame, I'm hoping that you'll hear today that God is not ashamed of you. God is not disappointed by you. God is not looking at you and thinking, oh, man, I was going to do some good stuff, but oh, well, because you messed up five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, because you took that detour now and you got off the path, oh, well, 
No, God is not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to be called your God. He's not ashamed to have you in his family. We see this in Scripture over and over again. God, the God of the Bible, once you get past Genesis and you get to God introducing himself to Moses and you're about to do this great thing of bringing the people out of slavery, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, as God introduces himself to Moses, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God identifies himself by his relationship with these messed up morons. right? And if he can do that, if he, if he still loves them and is not ashamed to be called their God, he's not ashamed to be called... Your God, if you trust in him. In Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 5, this is one of the Apostle Paul's letters uh, that he writes to, to these early Christians. Uh, he says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Uh, our boys are still a little confused about how the adoption process worked. Um, you know, we've, we've told them they're adopted and we've, we've you know, started to try to help them understand. But every now and then they'll say something to us that we're like, oh, yeah, no, no, that's not how it worked, guys. Um, uh, one of them, I forget, the picture evidently that he had in his head was that, like, we went to the store and they were on the shelf and we picked them out or something. I'm not sure. It, he was describing it and we were confused and eventually we got, oh, no, buddy, that's, that's not how it went. Um, but God has adopted. He, God knew you. God knows you. And, and has not been ashamed of you. He's not been ashamed to be called your God. His desire was to draw you to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And you read the rest of Ephesians chapter 1. I mean, he wants to make you holy. He wants to, he wants to do great things through you. He's, he's excited to be your adoptive father, to be your dad, to be your God. That's one reason I'm encouraged by stories like these in Genesis or like the stories of the disciples that we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who, again, full of failing to understand and, and messing things up. But, but Jesus calls them and Jesus trusts them and he invests himself in them just like God calls you and loves you and invests himself in you, gives us the gift of himself, his Holy Spirit to live within us, to, to guide us and to empower us to do better than our own parents did perhaps. To certainly not continue with the, the mistakes that we have made, those things that may have brought us shame or that we might feel bad about. God forgives us of all of that, washes us clean, not holding any of that against you. He's given you your, his, his Holy Spirit to enable you to walk a better path from this point forward. That's what scripture says in, in Romans chapter 8. Again, the Apostle Paul, writing to this time Christians in Rome, says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You know, like, like God is just waiting to punish you or, you know, that kind of a thing. No, he said, instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are, we are God's children. God's Holy Spirit living within us helps us, the, the inner part of us, to understand you're God's child. He loves you. He was excited to adopt you into his family, to bring you to himself through Jesus Christ. You know, God sends his son. And many people have seen in that story of Abraham being willing to sacrifice Isaac, um, God's willingness to give his one and only son for you and for me, to, to allow him to be sacrificed so that we could be forgiven, so that our sins wouldn't be holding, held against us anymore. And by his death and resurrection, 
and defeat the powers of sin and death and the devil. All those, those, uh, those things that would have held us back, those, those things that would have caused us to be ashamed, those, those sins and temptations that seem to keep their claws in us and keep us chained to them. And, and no, God sends his son to set us free of that, to break those chains, to adopt us into his family, to, to, to make this new life with God as our father possible. He draws us to himself through Jesus Christ as we say yes to him, as we trust in the work that God has done in Jesus Christ. Not that we can finally like earn our way back into God's good graces or anything, but, but just as we trust in the work that God has done, as we believe, Jesus, okay, I, I do believe what you've taught, Jesus, that, that I can be forgiven, that God loves me, that God is our Father. I mean, that's what we're going to pray in just a couple minutes. We're going to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, calling God our Father, who is in heaven, whose name is holy. And we are invited by God's Holy Spirit in us to call him Abba, Father. Abba being this Aramaic word for dad uh, that was the language that Jesus would have spoken. And this is a phrase that we see on Jesus' lips as he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, anticipating his arrest and his crucifixion and his death. As he is talking to his heavenly father, he says, Abba, Father, you know, all things are possible for you. Please, uh, let this cup pass for me. Don't make me have to drink this cup. Don't make me have to go through this. If there's a, another plan, let's go with that one. But still, not my will, but your will be done. The relationship that Jesus had with his heavenly father is one that by God's spirit alive in you, you and I are able to have with our heavenly father. We call, we can call God the same name that Jesus called him, Abba, father. The early Christian theologians uh, said that what, what Jesus was by nature as God's son, you and I are by adoption and that we are adopted into his family as his sons and daughters. And he gives us himself, his Holy spirit to affirm that within us as we trust in him. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what your dad was like, what you were like as a dad. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. And that's why I wanted to close just with this, this verse from, it doesn't have anything to do with dads. Uh, thankfully, finally, a verse that doesn't have anything to do with dads. But uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul again says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. It's like Paul is saying, look, if I can be forgiven, if God can have mercy on me because I've trusted him, I've had faith in him, I believed in him, he's given me eternal life, he's changed my life, turned me around. If he can do that for me, he can do that for you. He was patient with me, he's been patient with you. God was able to work through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to bring about his good purposes in the world. God can work through you. He's, he's the God of Tom and the God of Howard. He's the God of Wanda and the God of Cindy, and the God of Linda and the God of Rich, the God of each one of us. And he's not ashamed to be known that way. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us and thank you for uh, the examples that we have here in scripture of how over and over again you work through imperfect people. God, oh, if you didn't, God, you wouldn't have anybody to work with. Um, thank you, God. Thank you for loving us as we are. 
with all the good that we have to celebrate and with all the bad that we ask you to forgive us for. Thank you, God, that you didn't wait for us to clean up our act before you came to us in your son, Jesus Christ. But instead, you came so that we could be cleaned up by you. You you came. You loved first, God. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, so that we could know that the God who made us loves us is not ashamed of us, is not looking for a chance to condemn us, but instead is looking for a chance to forgive us and transform our lives. Thank you, God. Help us today to have faith in you, to put our trust in you, not putting our trust in our own ability to do everything right. We know we don't have that. Putting our trust in you, in your ability to forgive our sins, to to wash us clean of all that junk that we feel guilty about or ashamed of, God, help us to know ourselves as loved by you, to know ourselves as your children. Give us the gift of your Holy Spirit. Fill us with the Spirit of Christ. Help us to know at the core of who we are, that we're your kids, your son, your daughter, loved by you. Thank you, God. I'm excited to see what you're going to do in our lives, the stories that might get told someday about us, and the ways that you were at work, the ways that you are going to be at work as we trust you. God, I thank you that today we have the chance to celebrate in this sacrament of communion your great love that you have shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. We offer to you today these gifts of bread and juice, and we pray that by your Spirit's presence here, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. We offer you ourselves, acknowledging our need of your grace. Not a single one of us come to your table having earned the right to be here. We are all here because you have loved us, because you have been gracious, because as we have confessed our sins to you, you have been faithful and just and have forgiven our sins and purified us from all unrighteousness. So today we come giving you thanks, lifting our hearts to you with thanksgiving for the love you have shown us in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we prepare for the celebration of communion, if you're uh, with us from home, now's a great chance to, uh, to gather some elements, some bread, some juice, or the closest equivalent, if you would like to celebrate with us from home. And for all of us here in the room, we've got these little cups with the little plastic you pull back to get to the bread and the plastic you pull back to get to the juice. Uh, I think we're getting close to that time when we're going to be able to, to go back to celebrating communion the way we, we used to, where we'd come forward for communion. But, uh, but for now, uh, we're going to continue to celebrate like this. So. Right now, we are invited to this table in the name of the one who said, I am the bread of life. This is the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it is here that we remember how he gave his body and his blood to save us. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord took the bread, and when he had blessed it, 
he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread of life, Jesus' body broken for you. And after supper, Jesus took the cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for the many and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And when you drink it, remember me, the blood of Christ that was shed for you. We've come to the Lord's table and we have eaten the bread of heaven and the Holy Spirit will transform us from within so that we can see with Jesus' eyes and hear with Jesus' ears, speak with Jesus' mouth, feel with the world as Jesus feels, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Now go into your week nourished by the bread of life. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make your face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. Amen.